Lord, we speak the name, your name, the name Jesus over our brothers and sisters in Mayfield, Kentucky, where so many have died and church buildings have been destroyed in the downtown area. We speak the name Jesus. We speak your name Jesus, the Lord over every storm, the Lord through every storm. We pray that you will comfort and you'll encourage those who have have lost loved ones into your presence, Lord. We pray that you will be near to them. You'll give the leadership what they need in that state, in that part of our country, to minister to the folks in the most helpful and healing ways. And we pray, Lord, as you meet with us this morning, that there will be, by your wonderful spirit, a fresh baptism of your love to our hearts. That where we have struggled with the love of God, struggled knowing do we matter to you, struggled with a lonesomeness, uh, even a sense of feeling like an orphan at times because of the weight of the circumstances around us. Lord, many of your children, many of us today need a fresh, a fresh outpouring of your love for us in this moment, in this hour. Fight for us, Jesus. Fight for us in that place of winning our hearts with your love, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said, amen. 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 I want you to, if you would, please take your copy of the Scripture, your Bible, and open it with me to the book of Romans and Romans chapter 8. This is sort of a part two to what we didn't get finished with last week. It's not your fight, it's his. If you're standing in the place where the Lord put you, if you're holding on to the things that he's given you, and if you're doing your best to do the things that he's instructed you to do, you are his responsibility. It's not your fight when you're standing in the place he's put you. It's not your fight when you're holding on to the things that he's given you. It's not your fight when you're trying to do and say the things that he's given you to say. It's his fight. It's his fight. It's his fight. Well, remember those words out of 2 Chronicles 20, where Jehoshaphat made the statement as he was talking to the Lord about the trouble that the people of Israel, the children, were in as the invading army was attempting to throw them out and destroy the promises of God. He, he made the statement, the king made the statement, power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand against you. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand against you, which is to say, if you are standing where God is standing, then his power and his might will win the day. That's the critical part. Are we standing? where he's told us to stand, 
doing the best we can to do what he's given us to do and say what he's given us to do? And are we holding on to what he has given us as our possession? If we are doing those things, it's not our fight. It's his fight. Mama, mama, it's not your fight. Dad, it's not your fight. Business owner with a desire for your company to honor the Lord, professional person, put in the place where the Lord supernaturally just puts you there. It's not your fight. It's his. Now, when that gets settled in and that drops 18 inches, the immediate response is peace. The opposite of the frantic attitude that can rise up when we have become convinced, if I don't do something, nothing's going to happen. It's my fight. I've got to win it. It's my fight with this relationship, with these people, with this setting or situation. It's my fight. Therefore, it's all up to me. Well, if you feel like you put yourself in that place, if you feel like that you are really more engaged in the situation than God is, then go for it and give us a report later on just how tired you are. But if you're where he put you, I'm saying this again and I'm repeating it because it's fundamental to the rest of what we're talking about. Lord, the best I know, I'm here because you put me in this family. I'm here because you gave me those children. I'm here because you gave me these gifts and these interests and these abilities and you open the door. You're, you're, you're the one who holds the key of David. And you open and no one closes. And you close and no one opens. And you open this door. And so here I am. If you let this in, my brother or my sister, right now, in the middle of whatever may be coming at you in that situation, right now, there can be a supernatural peace to flood your soul. And you can almost feel guilty about it. Am I supposed to be this carefree? Am I supposed to be this absent from this burden? Because that's how I was taught. If you're going to fix something, you just stay under it until you figure out a solution and you do it. And that's an option. But I'm giving you, I'm giving you a higher calling on your life. I'm, I'm wanting to encourage you at a place, at the place of who you really are and whose you really are. You are not an orphan. You and I, by the grace of God, are not self-made people. We are trophies of His grace. And I am standing where I'm standing because He put me there. I'm holding on to the things that I'm holding on to in my heart with my dreams, my longings, my desires. I'm holding on to those things because I believe he's given them to me to hold on to. I'm standing here doing the best I can what I believe he's given me to do 
So therefore, Lord, this that is arrayed against me, this that is coming in confusion and perplexity and anger, whatever it would be, Lord, this is your fight. This is your fight. I'm a man, and you are God. And Lord, don't ever let me get that mixed up. The Lord, you would say to us, I am God, and you are not. Let me handle it. Now, as we mentioned last week, if it's God's fight, it's going to be done with his power. It's going to be done in his timing, and it's going to be done in his way. Since those are in place, if it's his fight, it's going to have to be his power or we'll never win it. It's going to have to be in his timing or he'll never act. It's going to have to be his way, and his ways may surprise us. But my role, our role, when it's his fight, is to wait. Wait for the Lord. I would have despaired, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait upon the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage. Yes, I say, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. Well, that Isaiah 40 passage, that they that wait upon the Lord, what happens to them? They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. So the test of whether or not it's a God fight that he's fighting and we're waiting for him to complete or whether it's something that is a God-sized fight, but we've taken it on ourselves, the test is whether or not we're worn out or not. If we're worn out, then it's a fight that he needs to fight and we don't have the strength for. And as we wait for him to do what he can do, the promise is he's going to renew our strength. <laughs> he will renew our strength. Instead of, us being, instead of us being depleted, instead of us living in a place of weariness and frustration and what next and what are we going to do, what am I supposed to do? The opposite of that, when the determination is, God, this is your fight. I'm giving it to you, and I'm waiting on you to do what only you can do, and I'm trusting you to refresh me because I'm not carrying the load that only you can carry. I'm not letting myself get under that. Some of us have lived under that kind of weight and pressure and, and succumbed to that kind of lie for so long, we might not even know what life would look like without waking up every day with this weight of worry and heaviness and frustration. I'm just saying to you, something, something in this moment, something on this Sunday morning where you're sitting and where you are can radically, dramatically be changed for the awesome good if we determine that, Lord, wait, I've thought this was my fight, but I see now that this is your fight. You are a good father. You are a powerful savior. Your authority is over everything. And I 
hand this to you, I trust this to you, and I'm going to wait for you to do what only you can do. Now, I'm saying to you, some of you, when that settles in, the first emotion can be, I'm guilty. This just can't be right because I'm at peace in the middle of the storm. I feel like I'd go to sleep and the boat hadn't even docked yet. It had been rocked by waves five minutes ago, but I'm realizing now, wait a minute, I have been taking on something that was never mine to take on. I can't fix people. You can't fix people. You and I just make it worse when we try to get in their business and stay in their business and try to shape them like we want them to be. That's God work. When we lay it down, back off, and we say, Lord, this is your fight, and I'm going to wait for you to... What happens then is the folks that used to be so frustrating to you, when you realize they're in the Lord's hands, you've given them the Lord, put, put them in the Lord's hands, and you are not going to step in on it unless the Lord specifically prompts you to say something or do something or be something. But it wouldn't it be amazing if he didn't prompt you to say anything? If you were just to be quiet, not to write any more notes, not to send any more books, not to do anything else, but just to wait to get out of his way and let him do what only he can do in his timing. And what happens is, instead of you living your days worn out, knotted up in frustration, there is a sense of peace. There comes to be a sense of rest. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize there is another whole dimension to living that you can step into. And, and not, not backing off on any of the responsibilities you have, but you're, you're, you're realizing this isn't my fight. I'm not going another day. I'm not going another second in this day believing that it's up to me to fix or straighten out or figure out. It's not my fight. And so the instruction of the Lord, the very basic and initial instruction on prayer when they've asked, Lord, how do I pray? The disciples ask, how do we pray? He said, you pray for my kingdom to come. You pray for my will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you're realizing that unless he brings the kingdom to a heart of, of a person, it's not going to come. Bring your kingdom, Lord. And unless his will is brought down from heaven to the hearts of people, it won't happen. So, Lord, cause your will to be done. <clears throat> Along that line... If you look at Romans chapter 8, and you look at verse 28, you find these words. And we know that God causes, God causes all things to work together for good. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, standing in a place loving God, standing in that place, believing that God is working His purpose out in your life somehow. For those, this verse indicates that God's fighting. He, he's causing all things to work together for good. He's fighting. He's fighting for something. 
as he causes things to happen, what is it that he's fighting for? He's fighting for good. He's fighting for good in the things of your life and the all things, the everythings of our lives. Now, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big statement. This, this, is a, this is a strong declaration. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. He doesn't cause all things. He doesn't cause evil. He doesn't cause the pain. He doesn't cause the heartache. The enemy will do that. Satan and sin will accomplish those things. But, it's, but he says he causes all things to work together for good. All things. All things. The Apostle Paul picked out a word that was, that, that was replete with meanings, with possible meanings. It means, it means each thing. It means everything. It means anything. It means the whole thing. It means every kind of thing. And we know that God causes anything. God causes everything. God causes every kind of thing to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. When he uses the word good, causes all things to work together for good. The word there can also have as an option possible synonym choices profitable. He causes all things to work together for, for that which is useful, that which is profitable, that which is excellent, that which is beautiful. So sometimes we, we can, well, Lord, why didn't you step into that situation and stop that situation from going the way that it went, ending up where it ended up? Why, why didn't you, I can't see any good in how that turned out. When the reality is that the Lord looked into your life, into our lives, and he saw that the situation that we were in, though it was familiar, though it seemed to make sense at the time, but from his perspective, it was not the best use of who he knew we are. That we were not being profitable, in a sense, in the best way in that setting. The, 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 the level of excellence that he knows we're capable of was not operating in that place. And so instead of defending that setting... He allowed that setting to blow up, to go away, to dissolve, to change. Why? Because he had something better in mind for you. Something with greater good, something with further excellence, something with greater usefulness through your life. If Joseph had stayed where Joseph had been, he would have been the low man on the totem pole. He would have been the runt of the litter of all those brothers. Buried in an obscure part of the Middle East, of the known world at that time. But God had in mind for him that he would be the right hand to Pharaoh, a pagan ruler. 
that he would be noted as a head of state, that he would be used by the hand of the Lord to preserve an entire nation and feed the known world at that time through the wisdom God would give him. It was the, it was the work of God to cause even Joseph's cruelty to him to work together for excellence and greatness, goodness and freedom in Joseph's life. And if God did that with Joseph, he has continued to do that with his people across the centuries. Loving him, called according to his purpose, he causes all things to work together for good. The good will always be in the direction of freedom and more. Freedom and more. Freedom and more. Can you say that back to me? Freedom and more. God causes all things to work together for good. Places where our thinking has been bound. Places where our logic has been bound where we need to be set free of certain conclusions regarding who we are or, or how God works or how He is and who He is. He causes all things to work together for good. I, I'm looking in the faces of some folks this morning that I believe many of you could stand up in that pew or stand up at home and say, Pastor, at the time when I was going through that, when I was having to deal with the situations as, as it was under the situation as it was unfolding, I couldn't see any good in it. It looked like my worst nightmare. It looked like an unending calamity. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, from this point looking back, I can say to anybody who wants to know what I thought was the worst thing ended up in God bringing me to a freer place bringing me to a place of more. We're not talking just about more in the bank or more parked in the driveway, but talking about more in your heart for him, more in your understanding of his power and his favor upon your life, more of you realizing that he didn't leave you, he didn't throw you out of the bus. He was right there in the middle of it, turning things for good. Turning things for good. He was fighting he was fighting for your good. Hold on to that. He didn't just do that once. That wasn't just for something to be in the past. That's how he operates. Jesus would say, as long as you're in this life, you're going to be met with tribulation and trouble. But you be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You lock your eyes on me. You keep giving to me your heart. And I will keep proving to you from my place of conquest over everything past, present, and future, that those things, those events, those everythings in your life will work together for good in your life. Amen. So what's he fighting for? You would say, Lord, it's not my fight, it's yours. What's he fighting for? He's fighting for good. He's fighting for good. He hadn't left you. He hadn't dropped you. He hadn't forgot about you. He's not interested in somebody else more. He's fighting for your good. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Another thing that he's fighting for <clears throat> is the calling on your life. The calling on your life. 
Who you really are is not your social security number. Who you really are is not your street address. Who you really are is who God knows who God knows you to be and who he has called you to be. You say, "Well, I'm not a preacher." Thank you, Jesus. Doesn't the world have enough professional clergy? But what we need more than anything else right now is the flames of God just lighting on the the pews and in the homes with ordinary folks throughout the nation. That changes everything. You can't count on a preacher. He'll chicken out maybe. Get bought and sold with money or influence or the threat of the loss of popularity. Don't get your eyes on a preacher, including this one. But when your eye is on the one who is able to pour out his spirit upon folks who may have some background in the church or in theology, but they may have nothing. They may have no background, but they have a heart for Jesus and the desire for Jesus to be glorified in their lives because they've had a sense that they have been called out of darkness to him. I want you to know this is in your Bible. This is, this is second, or excuse me, this is First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Let me read it to you. First Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race. He's speaking to... He's speaking to all the followers of Jesus, ones who have come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Folks, listen. There's a difference between the fake church and the real, true ecclesia church. The ecclesia, that's the word Jesus used. Upon this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia. The ones who were called out and called to me. What was the rock? What was the foundation? He said to Simon Peter, you didn't hear this from people. My father spoke this to you, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Folks, listen, the true church does not have its prime loyalty to a denomination or to a man. The true church has its affection for, its loyalty to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Period. That is buildings, architecture, sound, lights, money, mean nothing. You can have those things with a... But if you have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Somewhere 
in the journey of your life, you heard a call to your heart. And it wasn't to God in general. It was the revelation to your spirit that Jesus of Nazareth is exactly who he claimed to be. He is the Savior and the only Savior of a sinful mankind. But in him, there is freedom. In him, through his blood, there is forgiveness. And in him, through the power of his Spirit, there is freedom. There is a calling on your life. And I'm telling you, the Jesus who called you will fight for the expression of that calling. He will fight for your opportunity to declare the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Folks, listen. If you feel like your walk with the Lord has gotten a little stuffy, a little stale, like it's been in the refrigerator too long, everything's just kind of kind of on autopilot, there's no life and there's no fire in your relationship with the Lord, no joy, it's just a ritual, it's just going through the motions. Open your mouth. Open your mouth out through these redeemed lips, out through this rescued tongue, out through the flow of the the oxygen that would flow through these lungs. Let your praises, your declaration of the greatness of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Instead of feeling like well, somebody else can do that. Somebody else can do that. Somebody else can pray for that one. Somebody else can speak a word of encouragement. Even though I've been encouraged by the Lord, even though I've known the power of God to do something in my life, I'm not saying anything. I'm just shutting it down. Open your mouth. You want a personal revival. You want a fresh visitation. Open your mouth. It's what you were called to do called out of darkness to proclaim the excellencies of the one who did the calling. To be called assumes that there's a voice expressing a call. If there is a call delivered, it's assuming that there is a message conveyed. The message is Jesus. The message is Jesus. The message is his love for a sinner like me. And I'm telling you what he can do for me. Amen. He can do for you. Your primary calling is not who you work for. You can own that identity if you choose to, but it will, it will fade from you. It'll be some little footnote on some biographic entry in your life if it ever makes it that far. That's not who you are. Who you are is a picked out, wanted, called child of the King. The blood of the Savior 
pour it out on you to wash you and me clean. He will fight. He will fight for your calling to be completed. Jesus will fight for that which he has called you into. Amen. <laughs> to be completed. Say, Pastor, you sound like you're mad. I'm just mad at the devil. You know, I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm mad at the way the devil can lie to us. Oh, you're nothing. You're not important. You're not, that really doesn't matter to you. You're not really called to anything special. Yes, you are. Nobody can declare the excellencies of being called out of your darkness into his light. Nobody can take the words out of your mouth. You're the one who's to speak. I'll just challenge you. You leave here. You go find a waitress. You find somebody in a store. Somebody walking down the street with a dog. And just mosey right up to them and say, I just got something I got to tell you. And if I don't tell you, it's going to hurt me. I got to tell you, Jesus Christ of Nazareth rescued me. He's working to change me. And I just want to tell you that what he is doing in me, he can do for you. Would you like for him to do that in your life? Can I pray with you and get out on the sidewalk on your knees? Y'all are looking at me like, that's a crazy man. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you were called to higher things than the six o'clock news. You were called to more than just what the internet feeds. You were called to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous. Light. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. 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 All right, so he'll, he'll fight for good. He'll fight for your calling. And he'll fight for what you were created to accomplish. He will fight for what you were created to accomplish. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, look, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created for the accomplishing of good works that were prepared for you before you were ever born, before you were ever born again. And the purpose for that is so that you would live long enough in the settings and the places where he puts you for those very specific, supernaturally originated things to be accomplished through your life. And my dear brother, sister, you ain't going home until the last one is done. So you may be 89, 95, you may be 16, you may be 38, you may be any category of humanity, 
But the living Lord Jesus Christ saw you coming, knew what by his grace you would be able to do, and he prepared things straight out of his heart into the situation of families and businesses and cultures in the world. Good things created beforehand that you should walk in them. You see, the, the, the powers that be in Jerusalem said, we're done with this man named Simon. Peter, we've heard enough of him. Let's just have him killed. Let's just kill him. So they came up with a plot. Threw Peter in prison. The church went to praying. But God wasn't finished with Peter. He hadn't written first and second Peter yet. That hadn't gotten in the Bible yet. So what did the Lord do? He sent an angel. He sent an angel in the dark to show up in the prison. Just his presence caused the shackles to come off of Peter. Just his presence caused the gate to open. And he set Peter free to finish the works that the Lord had prepared ahead of time for him to do. Folks, listen. Power and might are in his hand. Power and might are in his hand. Power and might are in his hand. No one can stand against him. You watch God fight for you to keep you in places when others would say, you, you need to be gone or you should be done. or this, All of the things arrayed against him, but somehow, somehow you're kept. Somehow you're there. Somehow you're still in that family because God's not finished. And if you say, Lord, as I stand here, what is it you want me to do? He will lead you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He'll give you the sense of what it is that you should you are to do. And as you step into that, watch his power come on you. The filling of the Spirit described in the book of Acts was not so much about in the normal times, in the smooth times, in the easy times, that there was just this bubbling up sense of joy and confidence. That there, there was the joy of the Lord working, there was peace and so forth. But where they really felt the power of the Spirit upon them, where it was obvious that Peter was filled or Paul was filled, it was when they had to step into an engagement. They had to step up and step out into a situation, and it was in that moment that they needed to say something, and they'd already been told, don't worry about what you're going to say ahead of time. The Lord in that moment will give it to you. And they spoke, like many of you have found yourself. Lord, I'm here. I can't do this on my own. But I'm here believing you have me here, and I'm asking you to give me what you want me to say, if anything. And you've spoken, and you felt the power of the Lord come on you. And, 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 and you found the look, shocked looks at folks. Wait, where did that boldness come from? And you'd have to say, man, I don't know. It didn't come from here. It came from here. He has you on this earth to speak into specific people's lives, specific things about who he is. 
He has you in this life to stand for things that he will give you the strength to hold steady in and not give up. Good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I believe that has to do with creative things. I believe it has to do with, with the building of things, the structuring of things, the understanding of how to solve problems and how to build things that need to be built. Jesus would say, let your lights shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in the heaven, who is in heaven. There are some inventions that will come to the people of God. There are some declarations of how to solve, how to set in structure certain things that are from the heart of God, foreordained that you would know it and that you would speak it. Now, don't pass this off to somebody. Don't say he must be talking about somebody else. No, what, what if this is for you? What if this is for you and me? He will fight. He will fight for good, for the good in the situation. He'll bring it together for good. He will fight for that. He will, he will fight for our calling. And he will fight for the finishing out of that which we have been created to do. And I want to finish with this. I want you to find that section in Romans chapter 8 where the Apostle Paul is talking about all these things that haven't been able to defeat the sense of the love of God in his heart. Why will he fight for you? Because he loves you. Why will he fight for you? Because you are embedded in his heart and have been embedded in his heart. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You are older in God's heart than the Alamo. You are older in God's heart than planet earth. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Who shall separate us, verse 35, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation trouble or distress the kinds of things, the tight places that can drive a person to panic? Or persecution, the hounding, relentless pursuit of opposition of all kinds, or famine, the lack of things to meet basic needs, or nakedness, unable even to clothe yourself with appropriate dress, or peril, dangerous places, life and death situations, or the sword, the threat of death. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall these things, verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Do you see the little preposition in? Verse 37, but in all these things. It's not the preposition meta or after, but after all these things we're overwhelmed. No. It's in all these things. We overwhelmingly conquer. That's a, that's a, that's a, 
super word in the Greek language. We don't just get through it. We don't just survive it. And we don't just whip it. We don't just conquer it. We overwhelmingly conquer it. When everything, when everything the tribulation could throw at us, when everything that places of distress have brought to bear, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, what's he saying? He is saying that when you are in the middle of your storm, when you are in the middle of being persecuted, it is in that spot, in that place, at that time, that you can be caused to overwhelmingly conquer the effects of those things happening in the circumstances of your life. Overwhelmingly conquer. How? Through the one who loved you. Romans will say that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's when he demonstrated his love for you. When you hadn't changed, you hadn't been forgiven, you hadn't asked for forgiveness, but as you were, he loved you. Rebellious, cold, stuck on to whatever it would be. He demonstrated his love on the cross when he died for you. But what he's saying here is, Nothing has changed since the cross. No matter what you've done, no matter what has come and gone, no matter what has interjected your life, nothing about the pure, total love of God for you has changed. And it is, man, I want you to hear this. It is when a man feels in his heart the love of Jesus Christ for his imperfect, inconsistent, sinful ways and soul, that that man or woman can be transformed from someone who doesn't have any hope who doesn't see anything beyond what is in the immediate. But when the love of God warms your heart, sir, there was a peace, there was a rest, there was a kindness that comes to a man's heart. When he may have been mean and cold and calloused and calculating, it's because he's never been affected by the love of God to his heart. But when it hits you, he loves me at my worst. He knows me and he loves me. He loved me before I was ever born. He loved me from the cross, but he's loving me now. He's loving me now. He's loving me now. He's loving me now. 
mean men, selfish men, cold and cruel men are transformed not by a new set of rules, but by the melting, warming, smothering love of God. And that's a victory that only the Lord can win. That's a fight only He can fight. It's an outside fight with the events. It's an inside fight with the emotions in our hearts. But I'm just telling you, He loves you enough to fight for you to know that He loves you. That he loves you. My prayer coming into today is that the Lord, by his wonderful spirit, would answer the cry of our hearts Lord, I'm in an affliction. I'm in a place of distress. Love me. Cause me to know your love, Lord. In it. You see, we're looking for love in all the wrong places when we start saying, I know I'm loved if, or I know I'm loved when, when the heart that Jesus has for you is that he wants you to just know, I am loved, period. I am loved, period. You see, the reason we we can be mean to people, the reason that we can keep people on a real short rope, as a child of God, as someone who's going to heaven, is because the sense of the love of God has evaporated from our hearts. We've got it in theory. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. But for the love of God to be alive and operating in us, it means that we, we are loved. We are able to love now because he first loved us. I've got love to give away. I've got compassion to give away because I'm knowing the love of God. And I'm not having to run around always finding some fresh spigot. Oh, will you appreciate me? Oh, will you identify with me? Oh, will you, will you say attaboy to me? Because I really am not sure that God loves me. And the way that I'm going to know that God loves me is if I'm getting all these things. Looking for love in all the wrong places. And Paul will say, when the worst of the worst surrounds you circumstantially, the manifest presence of the felt love of Jesus is able to conquer, super conquer, super overwhelm whatever the circumstances are trying to say to you. His presence is greater than the lies and accusations that the circumstances would seem to indicate about where I am with God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, wherever this needs to settle in today, with whomever it needs to become the choice property of the heart for, I ask you to do it by your Spirit. Lord, we need a move of your Spirit we, we, we don't just need more information. We bless you for the accurate inf- information. But, Lord, we need you. We need you. Please do it, Lord. 
to freshly shed abroad the love of God in our hearts this day. We bless you for forgiveness. We thank you for the mercy that is ours. But Lord, we're asking for something so strong of our knowing in our hearts that you love us that even when the circumstances have not changed, it hasn't shaken the reality. I am loved. I am being loved. I am chosen and highly favored. In the middle of what I'm going through, I am chosen and highly favored. Thank you, Lord. There's somebody who's listened to this. And here's all you need to say for this to activate, the love of God to be activated in your heart, in the person of Jesus being received into your life. He's not a building. He's not architecture. He's not a catechism. He's not a set of rules. He's a person. And he knows you and he loves you to just say back to him, Yes, yes, Jesus. The best I can believe, the best I know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I, I, say, I say to you what I believe. There's a calling in my heart to say, I'm ready to do it now. Yes, Jesus. Say it now. Say, even say it out loud where you are, where you sit. Yes, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I receive you. I receive you. I receive you. And may he just fill you up with the reality of his love for you. I remember one of the greatest preachers who probably ever lived, named Charles Spurgeon. He said a century and a half ago or so, the nearest that I feel I am to my Savior is when I'm confessing my sins of failing Him. So it's, it, it's not about knowing, trying to know Jesus on an equal par of holiness or purity. It's about coming to Him as a sinner, as a failure, one in great need. Jesus, I receive Your mercy. I receive Your mercy. Yes, Jesus. Just say that, yes, Jesus, I receive you. Bless you. Prayer partners, if you'd join me as we close the service. And those of you a part of our streaming family, bless you for being a part of, literally, a part of the family. And we would invite you, if there's some ways we can pray for you, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org and we'll get on it. We'll join with you in prayer. Jennifer, we're going to sing something as we go. I saw that shout from the mountains up there. So you do that. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Shout Jesus from the mountains. That song we sang earlier, we're going to come back for a part of it. Let's stand together. Bless you for being with us today. and May the Lord just keep us all safe and knowing of his love, freshly being filled with his love all this week. God bless you.